0: Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. We're joined today by Troy Frazier and Troy, together with his friend Joel. They've created a website and also a podcast called Revived Thoughts, which helps you discover history's greatest sermons by providing audio for the messages of past preachers. Their goal is to aid believers in their spiritual growth, connect them to the richness of historical Christianity, and combat the shallowness that is so readily available in the online world. So, Troy, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you, Clayton.
0: Now, first off, what gave you and your friend the idea to create a podcast based on sermons of preachers that lived long before the digital age? So, a
1: long time ago, I was actually going through... A uh, bookstore, and I picked up a book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was very excited to read it. I had heard a lot about his biography and wanted to know more about who he was. I had put him in a giant stack of books, got home, and when I opened it, I realized it wasn't actually the biography that I had. It was actually a collection of his sermons and writings. I was originally disappointed, but I decided to start reading it anyway, and I realized there's actually a lot of really great depth in these old sermons. I hadn't really thought of reading these sermons before, But I suddenly realized, like, oh, my gosh, there's so much here. I read um, some of his other works before that point, uh, but I hadn't realized how much more was there just by looking at the sermons. And when I came to one sermon specifically, Overcoming Fear, I, I read through it. I thought, this is really impactful. But there was this footnote at the top of that sermon that said this was preached after basically a riot in Berlin. So I looked up the riot, and what had happened was thousands of Nazis had marched through Berlin, basically demanding that Adolf Hitler become the chancellor of Germany. And they got into this big, giant brawl, this big, giant battle with communists on the street. And these guys were punching. There were torches involved. It was this crazy thing. And then that Sunday, Dietrich Bonhoeffer got up and just basically looked at his congregation, looked at all these people who had just seen this massive event happen, And just looked at them and basically was like, yeah, let's not be afraid. You know, God created the world. We may feel like we're in a storm, but we don't need to be afraid. And there was just something about that historical context, thinking about that, that really, I don't know how to say it, just floored me. It made me realize these are real people and that these theologians that we read have real stories, really crazy stories, in fact. And and what they went through needs to be kind of almost understood in context. Like their theology is amazing. But remember that, you know, so many of these guys were preachers, too. And week to week, they would get up in front of a congregation and give them good, practical advice on how to live out the theology that they were writing about. And I think that with the help of sermons and reading through those sermons, you can actually come to a greater appreciation of a lot of these great men that live.
0: That is really helpful because it's easy to forget that we're talking about real breathing you know, flesh and blood people, and not just these hundred-year-old books or whatever the case might be. When you're reading their words, reading their thoughts, and even, like you said, reading their sermons, it's still not the same as having heard them preach, and this is kind of the next best thing.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't have, you know, the original sermon by maybe Bonhoeffer or some of these men that lived before recording times, but we're doing you know, the best we can with what we have on that situation, trying to recreate them and make them as lifelike as possible for the audience.
0: And that's a good point, too. So if someone is interested in checking out Revived Thoughts, which obviously we'll link to in the show notes, these aren't just someone reading the sermon. Uh, you can do that on your own. But this is really uh, performed as though it was being preached. So it, it's definitely worth checking out. Now, a lot of the works of men like Spurgeon, Whitfield, Edwards, they're already readily available in print. We mentioned it a little bit already, but what do you think is the biggest benefit of having them available in audio format?
1: To be honest, we like a both approach. So we're hoping that by listening to these sermons and hearing them, it'll make you go, wow, there's this big wealth of information that I'm actually missing out on. Let me go start reading these. You know, every sermon that we do, we put them up on our website so people can read through them themselves and check them back out. Our goal is not, hey, listen to our sermons and forget reading them, but to do both. At the same time, however, though, you know, you and this kind of maybe is a silly analogy, but if you get together with some friends, they're not going to say, hey, you know, tonight we're going to go read a script. You want to hear this, you know, there's this new uh, movie script coming out. We can't wait to read it. Or we're going to go down to the theater and read a script together. That's, of course, kind of silly. You know, the scripts may have a lot of great information, but you're going to see the movie. You're going to hear the play. And in the case of the play, it's not the original actors. It's not the original director, but it's still their written work. And it's people who are doing their best to recreate them and make them sound authentic and make them sound good again. And we think that's a lot of what we're doing with these sermons. Look, it's not the original speakers, but these guys who are preaching them, they're putting their heart into it. They're trying to make this come to life again, bring the truth back out of them. You know, they have some message that God put on some guy's heart 200 years ago, 300 years ago, we think that message still can be important for believers to hear today. But sermons are meant to be preached. They're meant to be heard. Audiences don't go to a church and get a little, you know, outline of a sermon and go, this is great. They listen to them. And there's something about how it can come into your ears that can, I think, work on your heart in a different way, maybe challenge you more on an emotional level to connect that theology to how you're supposed to live, and maybe a way that just reading the text can't always do.
0: And it's a good thing to point out to listeners as well is just remember these things were created to be spoken. These weren't created initially to be read. So to have this opportunity to hear them spoken uh, much the same as they would have been originally is really a a big step in getting to know these preachers of the past, be it Spurgeon or Edwards or Bonhoeffer or whoever else.
1: Yeah, and that's also to add to that too, like we— don't just read through them. And I think there are some really great people who are going through different sermons and reading them. But our goal is to actually make it feel like a sermon. So we don't have, you know, we, it'll take us longer to create each episode that we create. But our goal is for these to feel like you're sitting as close as possible to feel like you're sitting in church and listening to a sermon come to life again, which is a little bit different than maybe an audio book where you're listening to these things read to you in more of a more monotone voice.
0: I think that's one of the the key things that I've enjoyed, uh, having checked out a couple of the episodes of the podcast already. I also enjoyed, and you even mentioned this in your description of picking up that Bonhoeffer book, but you're giving uh, some background information, details on the preacher, details on the era of the church, what's happening in history, who he's preaching to, and that's really helpful as well. How do you go about putting that information together?
1: Basically, we go through, we check out famous historical sermons, we try to find sermons that move us because if they can move us now then we assume that they will probably move our audience move people so we go through then and and this is important step we make sure that the sermon we're checking with is someone that is theologically okay to listen to there are times where you're like oh this seems like a cool oh nope that guy was yeah heretic we need to check on that one and that's not to say that every person we have is in the same theological bent you know there are we have Dietrich Bonhoeffer next to Charles Spurgeon next to you know Some other men that maybe wouldn't have been in the exact same theological class. Our goal is not to create one uniform message, but our goal is to create something that will not be considered, you know, heresy, which is something that will kind of maybe broaden people's minds, entertain ideas that maybe they didn't have before, while at the same time sticking to the gospel and sticking to good things that we can trust and believe in. So after we pick those sermons. Then I go through the process of getting rid of all the language that I think would be difficult to listen to. We do recreate it and put it in a modern language, hoping that it will hear more people will be able to understand it. So we get rid of the thighs, the thaws, the fees, things like that, and try to put it in a nice, more understandable. We preserve the message. We're very, if anything, we lean more on if it's traditional, but it's not a word that's used too much. We'll keep it over a word. Just there's some words that don't that don't carry anymore, so we erase those. After that, we'll send it to somebody to preach the sermon. That's the hardest part, by the way, Um, finding people who will take the time and preach. And we're always looking for more speakers in that area. And at that point, I'll start doing a long biography research, which for me is a lot of Googling. Even with our Charles Spurgeon episode, we did an interview with an expert at the Charles Spurgeon uh, Center Library so they they could discuss things in more detail, things that we couldn't do ourselves and then I try to basically drink a fire hose worth of information, learn as much as I can about these people, and then try to dissect what our audience needs to hear so we can give them eight minutes of this is this person's story, this is the era in which he lived, what was going on at that time, and then this is why this sermon was really important at that time. Once we do all that, we put those together hopefully with what the preacher gave us, put it together and try to create a good episode. It does make the process a little bit longer but we really think about the audio quality, the overall episodes are um, something that will people can listen to even 10 years from now, maybe even longer. And they'll look back and they'll be able to say, no, this is good content that will help edify the church.
0: If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. And it is important to know the context of why that particular sermon was preached. Why do you think it is beneficial for the listener? Rather than just hear a great sermon on, on faith, on trusting God, on whatever else, why is it helpful and important to get even more of that by knowing what the context was?
1: Yeah, I think mean, that's a great question. So I can go, I'll just point out two speakers real quick that we did. I mentioned Bonhoeffer earlier. It's one thing for someone to preach a sermon and say, overcome fear. It's even another thing for me to say that was preached by Bonhoeffer. That guy really overcame fear. But there's something more powerful when you know that it was preached the same week he saw marches and battles on the street. Like there's something about knowing. No, he wasn't saying overcome fear when things were nice and times were good. He was saying overcome fear when things were hard and the bat. You know, and it was going down on the street. He was preaching something that I think a lot of people today, when they when things are getting crazy in politics or wherever they are. They look around and they go, whoa, we need to flee. But no, Bonhoeffer was saying overcome fear. And I actually looked up some world history in that time, too. Not only was there crazy stuff going on in Berlin, but actually that same week, Japan invaded China. So that kicked off World War II in the Pacific. That same week, there were two: uh, Spain erupted into a civil war. And Greece and Albania, I believe, had their prime ministers resign. If you look at the international political scene, there's a lot of fear. If you look at what's going on at home, there's a lot of fear. And now the preacher who gets up and says, overcome fear, and then goes on to live a life where he literally gives it all for that, wow, that's that's something that kind of has a message that I think resonates differently than just knowing some sermon and theologian at some point said, make sure to overcome fear.
0: It's, it's a sort of like when you're reading the book of Philippians, and he's telling you to be joyful, and then you remember, oh yeah, Paul's in chains right now. You know, that added context lends more weight to what they're saying.
1: Absolutely. And the other person I was going to point to is uh, George Mueller. We have another sermon called Real Faith. And it's about this man who says, you know, here's how you have real faith. And it's one thing to hear that and go, okay, that's a great sermon. It's another thing when, you know, the guy who preached that was George Mueller at the end of his life, a man who literally housed 10,000 orphans and never asked for a single dollar throughout his entire ministry. Suddenly you're like, wait a second. That's incredible. This I need to listen to that because that guy knows something I don't. When I put that in context, suddenly I realize like, this is not just, you know, I don't want to say any old sermon, but this sermon really carries the weight of authenticity of an older man giving, like, parting wisdom.
0: You're encouraging believers today to listen to sermons from the past. Why can that be better than listening to contemporary voices sometime? What can you learn from past preachers that you might miss out on if you only listen to or read contemporary voices?
1: So this is another one of those both. Um, we we love the idea of, oh, there's so many great speakers. You know, there's Timothy Keller, there's John MacArthur, John Piper, Brittany, there are just, you know, Francis. There's a lot of really great speakers and preachers and sermons today. Our goal would never be to replace them, but we think you can do both. We think there's room for people to have, a, to be able to listen to both kinds of sermons. And the thing that we're missing is And this is true. I've actually, I li- I, you know, I used to work a job where I'd listen to sermons pretty much all day. I had a kind of a factory job. I'd listen to them for hours and hours. And as I listened to them more and more, I realized they say a lot of the same things, actually. Like these kind of they kind of echo each other. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. They go to the same conferences. They're listening to each other. They even admit sometimes like I was listening to so-and-so when I heard. So they kind of listen to each other. There's a bit of a bubble of an echo. And that's good because it kind of keeps unorthodoxy and heresy kind of out in the sense like they're all on the same page. But the problem is you're kind of caught up in this moment. You're caught up in the preachers of right now. And when you go back to the historical sermons, you suddenly get a much wider context. And, and you suddenly can start seeing things from the perspective of an Englishman living in the 1500s during the Reformation. You can suddenly see, oh, this is what the, colonial, like the people of the colonies were thinking during the Revolutionary War. This is what people were thinking over here during the Industrial Revolution. Here's how the same message of Christ. Is being represented to different people at different time, but it's still the same God. You know, here's how B.B. Warfield was standing up to theological liberalism in his day. And it suddenly makes you realize, like, wow, we've been doing this a long time as a church, and these different perspectives help you get different layers. Now, not every single sermon, again, is perfect theology. Sometimes we put things in there and we go you know this is a slightly off sermon we're not trying to trick you we just want you to hear something a little bit different and maybe go hmm, what do you think about that because this is a little bit you know a little bit strange some of the sermons from history are a little different but overall they give you a wider perspective and if i can say something this is not an insult to any preachers today either but when you look through historical sermons you're usually kind of picking out the best of the best like these are the sermons that lasted for hundreds of years and that's why we still have them today. These are the preachers that we remember 500 years later. And these men, one thing I've noticed studying them is their lives were insane. Like they, So many of them suffered. Hudson Taylor lost four kids and two wives. George Mueller lost his entire family. He ended up living every single member of his family. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would give his life. B.B. Warfield would have to take care of his wife. The I and mean, they all lived very hard lives. And they're going through the Industrial Revolution. They're going through World War II. They're going through these things that kind of – I'm trying to you know, say is, you know, nicely, but we, we live in a very modern – most of us are listening to sermons from America, and our preachers go through a lot of stuff, but they don't go through some of these things that these men went through that kind of adds layers of depth to their sermons in a sense.
0: Is there anybody that you've personally benefited from a lot when reading, hearing, and even maybe now producing some of these? How have you benefited from these these past sermons
1: so okay this is kind of an offhand one and i don't I, one thing is i now speak in quotes so i am i'm a teacher i'm a, I'm a middle school science and bible teacher and like i, I had to be you know, i talked to my kids these middle schoolers and i say, you know it's as bb warfield said or it's as charles Spurgeon and so that's one little way that my life has started to change since I was doing these sermons but in a more real sense one thing i realized is that And this is probably not what I originally thought going in, but it kind of goes back to the question we just I just talked a little bit about is this suffering is real for real for these believers and men of God. You know, I often look at my life and once things get hard and something becomes difficult, I kind of question, okay, what am I doing wrong? What is God trying to show me or all these other things? And as I've done these sermons and I've looked at the biographies of the men giving these sermons, it's it's almost like there's a contrast, but there's not. They'll give this sermon about this joyful hopeful amazing love for Christ they have on one hand and then i look at their life and it's like oh my goodness they were going through so much at the same time how do they have such joy but then i realize suffering is a part of what we christians go through i think at times you know it's not a theology of suffering that makes it better or worse i'm just saying that these great men almost all had really hard things they had to overcome but that again shows me that their sermons would almost not read as if they were like living in heaven almost the way they describe Christ the way they talk about loving god it's such a contrast. I mean, we have several martyrs on our show, and it's such a contrast between those two ways of viewing God. It made me realize, like, you know, I'm not viewing God with enough respect and enough authority, and I look at my suffering as so much bigger than I should, and that God is much bigger than the suffering that I'm going through.
0: Yeah, it gives a, a lot of perspective to see, one, what these other people endured compared to our lives in many ways, and also to see the timelessness of the gospel and the, the promises of the gospel through what they endured. Yeah,
1: that's absolutely correct. When you can see how God transformed some of these men and made them go through what they went through, and they didn't back down on God at all. And that, I mean, that is just encouragement. And again, too, the sermons, some of the things they say, it really makes you step back and go, wow, some of these sermons are preached in a way, you know, they're a little bit stronger than we we maybe get in modern days, in the modern West as it is. Sometimes they go a little bit hard, and you go, wow, that I could not imagine a preacher saying that today, but that is some truth. There is some there's some real understanding of God and justice and even the hard topics like hell. Element.
0: So do you have a favorite at this point in terms of who you like to, to read?
1: I'm going to have a couple answers because I, I, I just I couldn't pick this one in my mind. But Hudson Taylor is somebody I just love because I lived in China. I actually lived in Hangzhou um, for a year, and that's the same city he kind of headquartered in anything by him, I'm just automatically going to kind of cherish in my heart because uh, we got that kinship, right? Uh, even though he, he came to China in the middle of the Taiping Rebellion, which was this huge bloody war in the 1800s, and I came at a much more peaceful time, as it were. There's a moment. One of our pastors that we're going to release uh, here in a couple weeks is named Lemuel Haynes, and he preaches this sermon on universal salvation, and it's just this amazing moment, if I could share it with your audience real quick, where basically uh, he finds out a universalist is coming to his um, his his congregation, and this is like in the early 1800s, and he actually himself is a very interesting man. He's an African-American preacher who preaches to a pretty much all-white congregation in Connecticut. So he comes back to his church, and he listens to the sermon, and they ask him this, hey, you know, m- you know Mr. Haynes, would you like to say anything? And he's like, I'll get up and give a word, and he literally gives basically this five-page sermon on why Universal salvation is the oldest lie that the devil ever told, which was, Mm. you shall surely not die. He's like, no, you will die. You're going to be held accountable. And there is really, you know, this is very important. But the devil is always trying to convince you, you won't die. There is no help. There's nothing to be afraid of. But I love that sermon because he gives it off the cuff. He didn't prepare it. You know, most sermons you think, oh, they put 20 hours in. He had to give it on the spot. He didn't know until he was already heading to a different church that this guy was coming. So he, I mean, he wrote that literally on the spot. And he never calls the guy out by name. At the very end, he just kind of winks and goes, and if anybody is offended by this, I can only imagine they are the devil because this whole sermon was just me giving against the devil. And it's just a, So I, I wish I could be so witty. And, and is
0: that guy in the room as far as you know? Is that right? Yeah,
1: as far as I know, he would have been sitting there. It was like the end of the service. He just gets up and gives his second sermon, basically just calling out the thing that the guy before him done it without ever saying his name. Without ever saying, you know you said this, but let me say he just I'm going to talk about the devil and why the devil's wrong when he says you won't surely die." and I'm sure no one will be offended by that. Yeah, that's it's, beautiful. it's just an amazing moment. And then if I can also add to um, just a preacher that I have come to appreciate, this is so cliche, but it is Charles virgin, you know it, it is so cliche, but you just read he has a way with words. you know we do an episode where we say you probably heard of Charles virgin by the the, the bazillions of quotes them from him on Facebook or from your pastor. But he just has a way with words where it's just – I don't know how he did it where almost everything he says just sounds profound. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm a big Spurgeon fan and can't encourage anyone enough to sell your other books and buy Spurgeon and you'll be doing <laughs> just fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, when we told people we were doing this, they said there were two things that came up. They always were like, are you doing Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Aging God? And we were like, yep, we're going to do that one. And they were like, are you doing Spurgeon? We're like, of course we're doing Spurgeon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he might be a a regular feature on yours, I imagine, over the years.
1: Oh, we're hoping so.
0: Can you let folks know where can they go to listen and subscribe and anything else you want them to know about what you have coming up? Sure, no problem. We can
1: be found on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Android, pretty much anywhere you listen to a podcast. You can find us. The name of our show is Revived Thoughts. That's R-E-V-I-V-E-D, Thoughts, as in T-H-O-U-V-T-H-S. And we can also be found at ReviveThoughts.com, ReviveThoughts.com. And you can listen to all our latest episodes and future episodes coming up. We also have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So pretty much anywhere you need to find us, we can be plugged in. Uh, We will be very soon releasing a B.B. Warfield episode. We have a sermon from a person you may not have heard of, but was very very influential on the american revolution named samuel cooper we have john calvin coming up lemuel haynes which i gave you a taste of his jonathan edwards and hopefully some really great sermons towards the end of the uh end of the season that we're gonna do so we're working on a lot here and we're really excited for anybody to check us out and let us know what they think also if you heard all this and thought hey i would be interested in maybe doing a sermon preaching a sermon we are literally always looking for volunteers and you can find us at thoughts at gmail.com and talk to us. We would be happy to have you.
0: That's excellent. And obviously we're going to link to all of that, to the podcast, the website, uh, their iTunes and social media accounts, and also where you could go and re- help them record some of those sermons in the show notes at Reasonabletheology.org slash episode 17. Encourage you to check this podcast out. I've listened to several episodes, really enjoyed them. Troy, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and letting us know about Revive Thoughts.
1: Hey, it was a real pleasure to be here, Clayton. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting to pick in a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I have found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.